0: Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you, and we hope you enjoy the message today. Amen. You may be seated. Will you guys do me a favor and help me thank the worship team for leading us this morning? It is officially Christmas time around here and I am excited about it. Thank you, Curtis family, too, for lighting our first Advent candle. Today is week one of our Advent series. My name is Ricky Hemme. Thanks for joining us in person. Thanks for joining us online. Uh, so with Advent, that word Advent, it's not anything new in Christianity. Every, every year around this time, hundreds of churches, thousands of churches around the globe, they pause to celebrate something called Advent. Advent simply means coming or arrival. And the title of our Advent series is God with us. We're celebrating the fact that God dwelt among us in His first advent, Jesus's first arrival in this world. He was born humbly, born in a manger. We also look forward to the fact that Jesus is going to return again. So advent doesn't just look back at Jesus's first arrival. It also looks forward to his second coming where he's going to return again, not as a lamb, but as a lion. Do you guys believe that today? Jesus will come back as a lion. Well, in today's passage, we are introduced to a remarkable young woman by the name of Mary. So if you guys have your Bibles, turn to Luke, starting in chapter 1, verse 26. Today we're going to talk about the Virgin Mary. And what I want you to know as we kind of ease into this topic this morning is this. The Virgin Mary is quite possibly the most recognized woman on the planet. In fact, uh, National Geographic dubbed her the most powerful woman in the world. And this is actually quite stunning because in the New Testament, the Virgin Mary, she hardly speaks a word. But her image and her legacy are found and celebrated all around the world. Now, there are two popular ways that people view the Virgin Mary. So let's talk about those really quickly. The first popular way that people view Mary is that Mary is a giver of grace. So if you've grown up around the Catholic Church, I know some of you have a background in Catholicism, maybe you were baptized into the Catholic Church, then then you were taught that Mary is a giver of grace. One way that you were taught that is through the Hail Mary prayer, because it says this, Hail Mary full of what? Full of grace. Well, in Catholicism, Mary is identified among the pantheon of saints as someone to pray to in order to get your request to Jesus, So if you want Jesus to hear from you, a good way to get your request to him is to talk to his mother. Because surely Jesus is going to listen to mom, right? So we're taught to pray, Hail Mary, full of grace. At least that's in the Catholic tradition. She's not just a kind and humble woman. She's actually a perfect woman. And this is where Catholics get the idea of the Immaculate Conception. The Immaculate Conception teaches that Mary was unstained by the fall that she was born perfect, that she is without sin. And so those who hold this first view of Mary, they revere Mary, they even pray to Mary. The second popular view of Mary, and and the view that I ascribe to because it's the view I see in scripture, is that Mary was not a giver of grace, but a receiver of grace, You see, the biblical account suggests that Mary was just a normal young woman, just like any other young woman. She wasn't perfect. She wasn't divine. She was as much a child of Adam, a a victim of the fall, as you and I are. And never once in Scripture are we instructed to pray to Mary. She was humble, she was kind. She was unique in the sense that she devoted her life to God at a very young age. Okay, so we should honor Mary. Mary is a hero of the faith. Amen? She is a hero of the faith. At a young age, even as a teenager, okay, when we're talking about these birth episodes, Mary would have been about 14, 15 years old giving birth to Jesus. And what we learn about Mary is she was devoted to God at a very young age. She loved the Lord her God with all her heart, with all her mind, with all her strength. And so that was one thing that set her apart from other women of her age. But, but she never signed up to raise the Son of God. That was not something that she ever thought would happen to her. But her, God saw her humble demeanor. God saw her childlike faith. And God gave her a special mission. And so therefore, when we talk about Mary today, I want you to see not Mary, Mary not as a giver of grace, but Mary as a receiver of grace. Someone that we honor, someone that we respect, but not someone that we worship or pray to. And why is that? Because 1 Timothy 2.5 says this, There is one mediator, there's one God, and there's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And so when we worship, we give Jesus our worship. When we pray, guess what? You get to pray directly to Jesus. And Jesus brings your prayers directly to the Father. And so as we talk about Mary today, I just wanted to kind of set the framework there because Mary is a confusing figure for many people. She's popular, she's honored, she should be popular, she should be honored, but let's see what the Bible says and not just human tradition. So I wanna share with you three ways Three ways that Mary's story brings hope in a message titled, Hope for the Humble. Will you guys pray with me and we'll jump in. Father God, I thank you so much for Mary. And as we're going to talk about next week, I thank you for Elizabeth, these, these expecting mothers who were really challenged by you, challenged with a special mission from you to raise the Son of God, to to. To, to see the Messiah grow up right in front of her. God, we do honor her and we thank you for her. We thank you for her faith at a very young age. And we thank you for the fact, God, that you see the humble. You see the little people. And you love them. And you respond to them with grace upon grace upon grace. And, and this morning, God, as we look at this world, we realize we need hope. And so I pray that you would use Mary's story in our lives to bring hope into our hearts and into our souls. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Luke 1, starting in verse 26. Go ahead and turn there now. Luke 1, 26 is what it says. In the sixth month... The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Mary's story gives us three lessons about hope. And the first lesson that we learn from Mary's story is this, God sees the little people. God sees little people. Mary's fame is remarkable because according to Dr. Luke, Mary was a nobody from nowhere. The first thing Luke does when describing Mary is he mentions Mary's hometown, a town called Nazareth. Now, we are very familiar today as believers or Westerners, people who have had the Bible for a long time. We're very familiar with this town called Nazareth. But up to this point, nobody ever talked about Nazareth. If you were to look through ancient texts, ancient manuscripts, ancient historical documents, no one was talking about Nazareth. And because of that, Luke had to give a a description of where Nazareth was. He he says it's a city of Galilee. He's like, hey, I know you guys have never heard of this town, but there's this little town called Nazareth in a region called Galilee. Okay, Nazareth was one of those towns that you drive through for gas and a bag of chips, and that's it. <laughs> Nazareth was, was that town where you're like, man, I'm running out of gas. All right, kids, you better make it quick because that bathroom's going to be dirty. I just know it. Make it quick. Get some chips. Hop in the car. Let's get out of this place. Okay, that's Nazareth. Uh, excavations of Nazareth from this time period suggests that there were maybe a couple hundred people living in Nazareth at this time. Maybe. Maybe just dozens of people living in Nazareth at this time. What they also discovered was that it was a rural agricultural settlement. Okay, It was a small town, agricultural settlement, and and no one in the New Testament, when Jesus is introduced as coming from Nazareth, no one in the New Testament believed anything good could come out of Nazareth. Nazareth. But God sees little people. When God looked for the right person to raise his son, he chose a small person from a small little town. Now, when I hear that, I feel like that should give us some hope in this room. Because if you've ever wondered if God sees people in small agricultural towns, then here's your answer, okay? This should be good news because the last I checked, Lamore is a small agricultural town. We are no L.A., we're no San Francisco, and I, I know you guys are proud of that, by the way, okay? We're not L.A., we're not San Francisco. But here's the thing. There, there are sometimes... When we come from a small town, when we live in a small town, we feel like little people in a big world. And we convince ourselves that God can't do anything cool with us little people in this little town. But what we see in this story is that God sees little people. There are more people. What's interesting about our church, there are more people in this church than in the whole town of Nazareth. More people in this church than Nazareth, everyone combined. And so sometimes it's tempting for us to, to, to think that small town people uh, can only do small town things. But, but if if God could change the world through Mary, what can God do through this church? What, God, what can God through, do through this community? God's plan to change the world started in a small town. If Jesus could use one one poor woman from Nazareth to change the world, then what could he do with you? And so I want you to know today that God sees the little people. And why? Because God notices the humble. God notices the humble. Humility, C.S. Lewis, he says this about humility. He says, humility is not thinking of yourself, not thinking less of yourself, sorry. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. That's humility. Humility. It's not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Mary was the perfect candidate to be a rock star in society because Mary wasn't looking to be a rock star. She was humble. And so if you're living a humble life, I want you to to know today that God takes notice. It doesn't matter if you don't have a million followers on Instagram. Doesn't matter if you live in a small agricultural town that no one heard of. I, I, I didn't hear of Lamore until I moved here. And guess what? I went to the, the Christmas parade last night, and you guys know how to party, all right? This town is awesome. This is an amazing small agricultural town. God sees the humble. And he responds by giving them amazing things, doing amazing things through him. He rejoices at the sight of a humble spirit. 1 Peter 5, 6 says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. If you've ever wondered if God notices you, I want you to know today he does. He sees you. He saw Mary He understood her story. He saw her where she lived. He wanted to do big things with Mary, and he wants to do big things with you. You don't have to be a big shot to do big things. And when God scanned the globe to find the perfect person to raise his son, he chose Mary. Which leads to point number two, and it's this. God gives grace to the humble. Mary's story doesn't only remind us that God sees little people. It also reminds us that God's grace is reserved for the humble. We learn in scripture that God opposes the what? The proud. But he gives grace to the who? The humble. God gives grace to the humble. Listen to the rest of the story here. It says this in uh, verse 28. And he came to her. So, an angel is speaking to Mary in this tiny little town called Nazareth that no one had heard of. Mary is not looking to do anything big with her life. She's just looking to get married one day, find a good man, build a house, tend to her farm. That's all she wants to do. And then she meets an angel, and an angel has a crazy announcement for her. He says, He comes to her and he says, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you but she was greatly troubled at this saying and she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be and the angel said to her don't be afraid mary you found favor with god and behold you'll conceive in your womb and you'll bear a son and you'll call his name jesus now there's a very important phrase in the angel's greeting it's the phrase o favored one that phrase, O favored one, is where Catholics derive the prayer, Hail Mary, full of grace. Because the word favored is the Greek term, uh, let me see if I can pronounce this rightly, karatao, karatao, and it means gift or grace. It means gift or grace. But knowing the context of this passage, who is the giver of grace in Luke chapter 1? Is Mary a giver of grace or is God a giver of grace? God is the giver of grace, and Mary is a recipient of that grace, of his unmerited favor in her life. Well, what is the grace? What is the gift that Mary is receiving in this passage? Well, the gift here is the virgin birth, the virgin birth. Now, I was uh, studying this topic this week, and so I, thought I went on a rabbit trail. Just wanted to see if there's been any other weird births in, in, in society and in history, and I came across a few. One is, in Canada, a few years ago, a baby was born, the biggest baby ever born. You know how big he was? 22 pounds. That's not a baby, that's a toddler. And if that baby is not playing professional football today, then the world, there's something wrong with this world, right? Furthermore, the smallest baby ever born, conceived and and then developed and, and, and survived, was born at 18 weeks he was born at 18 weeks, and when he was born, his eyes were still fused shut because he, he wasn't fully developed. But he was, he was watched over and cared for, and he came through, and he ended up growing to, up to be a healthy, strong baby. He was only a pound when he was born. Another unusual birth that I read about and something that we all knew from recently was Octomom. You guys remember Octomom? Six boys, two girls. Uh, what's, what's interesting is that she actually lived in my hometown for a while. So we, we would see Octomom out on the streets. So those are unusual births just in society. But there are, another, there are a number of unusual births in the Bible. Abraham and Sarah is one of those. Abraham was 100 years old. Sarah was 90 years old when they gave birth to Isaac. And the Bible describes Sarah's womb as as good as dead. It's kind of a crazy way to describe it. But that's what it said about Sarah. And she gave birth to Isaac. Hannah gave birth to Samuel after praying in the temple. You remember that story. And and just a few verses earlier, we're going to talk about them next week. A few verses earlier in Luke is the story of Elizabeth and Zechariah who gave birth to John the Baptist when Elizabeth was well past childbearing age. So we see unusual births in society, we've seen unusual births in the scriptures, but all of these episodes, although although they're unusual, none of them are totally unique because in each episode, a human father was involved in the process. The virgin birth, though, is not so. In the virgin birth, there is no human father. In the virgin birth, it's the Holy Spirit who conceives this child, who who, who this the Holy Spirit who comes upon Mary to, to conceive this child. And the virgin birth is it's significant for at least two reasons, theologically significant for at least two reasons. The first is that the virgin birth was promised in the Old Testament. You guys know this passage very well, Isaiah 7:14 says, Therefore the Lord himself he'll give you a sign, and behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they'll call his name Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. The title of our series. 700 years before the birth of Jesus, Isaiah promised the birth of Jesus. Isaiah promised that the Messiah would come. And one of the ways that you would know that the Messiah was here, the promised Savior of the world, the one who is gonna make all things right the one who was going to make a way back to God, one of the ways you would know with certainty that the Messiah had come is that the Messiah would be born of a virgin. Born of a virgin. Now we've seen miracles in the Bible, but this miracle is totally unique because never in the history of mankind has there ever been a virgin birth where no human father was involved in any way and never will this ever, ever happen again. And so naturally, when Mary heard this news, she was shocked. We read in verse 34 that she said to the angel, How how will this be since I'm only a virgin? It's a good question. Now, if, if you know Mary's story, what's interesting is that Mary's story up to this point, she wasn't married, but she was already betrothed to a man named Joseph. Betrothal is something that we need a little context on because it's not something that we do today. Normally today, today's culture, you date around, you find someone you like, you propose, you get engaged, you get married. And, and it's just all between you and that person. But not back in this day. Okay, back in these days, betrothal is, it was this thing where, where you, would, you would, with your families, decide who you were going to marry. Okay, back in these days, there was no Christian mingle. Okay? There, was, there was no eHarmony. There was no high school quad, there was no blind dates, there was no tender, all right? So back in these days, your parents would talk to another set of parents and say, hey, we think that our kids are a match. Now that sounds scary, but it actually worked. I'm not suggesting we do it today, but it actually worked for this society. So relationships in these days, they were prearranged by families, and the first step of marriage was something called betrothal. Now, Jewish betrothal had two parts. First, there was a formal engagement, including a contract and an exchange of a bridal price. And then, after this contract, and once you were betrothed, then it was a legal binding agreement. That's why in Matthew, when Joseph was concerned about Mary being pregnant, we read in Matthew that he was considering divorcing her. But they hadn't yet been married But he had to divorce because betrothal was so binding. It was a legally binding covenant that you would make. Well, after you were betrothed, the husband would then go and he'd prepare a home for you for about a year. He'd get the home ready and then there'd be a ceremony and then there would be the wedding day and all of that fun stuff. But in the meantime, when you were betrothed, there was no room for physical affection and meeting with your betrothed was usually done in the presence of a chaperone. Now, some of the teenagers in the room today are like, man, I'm so glad we don't do that anymore. But this is how they did it in Jesus' day. These were teenagers getting married. Mary was a teenager. Somebody said to me yesterday, they're like, hey, you and your wife should have been Joseph and Mary on the float. I'm like, we are way too old for that. And we're only in our 30s. Right now, in today's culture, you, you, don't even, you don't even start dating seriously until you're 35, right? But in Jesus' day, in Mary's day, 13, 14, you were getting married. I think this is important to point out because it shows Mary's remarkable faith. She's getting a message from God. She loved God so much that she stood out. She wasn't perfect, but she stood out. And when God scanned the world, he saw a a young woman from a little agricultural town who was just focused on doing the right thing and loving the Lord and loving people. And he's like, this is the perfect person for this amazing assignment. God gives grace to the humble. Can I get an amen? God wants to give you grace. God wants to See your circumstances and turn them around for his good and and his glory, your joy. God loves you. Keep fighting. Keep pushing forward. Stay humble. Work hard. God sees. God notices. Well, Mary, naturally, she is scared. But at the end of this conversation with this angel, listen to what she says. Luke 1.38. It's going to be on the screen. She says this, Behold, I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. I hope you know today that God, he didn't just have a special plan for Mary. He also has a special plan for you. The question though is this, when God reveals his plans for you, Even if they're hard, even if they're challenging, what will you say in that moment? Will you say, God, I'm your servant, whatever you want with me? Or will you push back? Will you run away? Will you deny God's purpose and plan for you? Or can you, like Mary, say, God, I'm yours, do whatever you want with my life, I am yours? Okay, this was was phenomenal, this was huge, because Mary For her to be pregnant outside of wedlock in a tiny little town, what do you think the town was saying about Mary? It probably wasn't pretty. She was probably gossiped about. There were probably all kinds of rumors about her and Joseph. She knew that she was signing up for a very hard mission the moment she said, okay. But she did it anyways. Because she trusted the Lord. And I want you to know that you can trust the Lord. Jeremiah 29, 11 says this. God says, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. But just like Mary You and me, we need to humble ourselves and trust the Lord. God's plan doesn't always make sense. It wasn't making sense to Mary. She didn't understand how this could happen, but she trusted the Lord. It doesn't always make sense, but it's always for our good, and it's always for his glory. Can I get an amen for that one? God loves you guys. He loves your kids. He loves your family. He has good plans for you. Stay humble, and he'll do big things in your life. The second way that the virgin birth was significant was that the virgin birth ensured a holy child. So not only was the virgin birth promised in the Old Testament, but it also ensured a holy child. Listen to verse 35. It says, the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, and the power of the Most High, the Most High God, will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. Now for the parents and grandparents in the room, let me ask you this. Do you remember how excited you were when your first child was born? You guys remember that joy? Holding your first child in your arms in the hospital room. Maybe you had two children, or maybe you were like Octomom and you had eight. I don't know. How excited were you when you held your first baby? and you see your baby and you and, or maybe you adopted a baby okay maybe you're in foster care maybe you adopted somebody when you when you when you brought that child home and you saw them and you and you held them and you hugged them and it, it's just the most amazing feeling in the entire world it's so incredible and you look at this child and you think that you're looking at an angel and then and then a few months later <laughs> things change so, the first time I realized that children aren't angels was when my daughter was about nine months old. My nine month old daughter, and, and maybe, maybe it took your, you longer to realize this with your kids, but my daughter was nine months old. I'd feed her eggs, she loved uh, avocados and eggs. Uh, But they were actually super messy all the time. And she realized, like, hey, I could rub avocado on the walls. And I could throw the eggs all over the ground. And I could rub it on the fridge. I could make a good mess out of this stuff. And so I would tell her, Blake, please don't make a mess. Please don't make a mess. Please don't make a mess. And and she was only nine months old. But she understood me. You know how I know this? Because as soon as I started getting firm with her, like, Blake, do not throw your avocado on the ground. You know what she did? Grabbed her avocado reached out across her high chair, looked me in the eyes, and dropped it on the ground. And I looked at her and said, you little sinner. (laughs) And I realized that the fall is a real thing. (laughs) We have inherited sin from Adam. Amen. We know this, right? It's just a reality. And if your child didn't start sinning at nine months, then they probably started sinning at 12 months. And if they didn't start sinning at 12 months, then they probably started sinning at 24 months. And if they didn't start sinning at 24 months, then you as a parent are in denial. (laughs) We are little sinners. That's reality. We are all born into sin. We see it in our children. They're they're, they're angels. They're amazing. They're, They're innocent in so many ways. But they're still sinners in need of grace. Our children need Jesus. That's why Jesus came into the world, to to, to reach families, to to go to the cross for for all of our sin, big and small. But what's different about Jesus, when Jesus was born, is that Jesus was not a little sinner. Because Jesus did not inherit the seed of Adam. Because who was Jesus' father? God. God. No human father meant no sin passed down to Jesus. See, the virgin birth is significant because in the virgin birth, we see fully God, fully man. That's Jesus. Fully God and fully man. The virgin birth is theologically significant because Jesus, he did not inherit a sinful nature. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Jesus knows what it's like to be human. But where Adam failed... Jesus succeeded. The first thing Jesus did when he started his ministry is he went out into the wilderness. And who met him out in that wilderness? Do you guys remember? Satan for 40 days tempted Jesus. In Genesis chapter 3, Satan for one day tempted Adam. Adam fell, Jesus succeeded. That's why Jesus is our Savior. Because Jesus lived the life that we couldn't live, the perfect life as our representative, a representative for mankind. He lived a perfect life in our place, but he also died the death we deserve to die. Lived the perfect life we couldn't live, died the death that we deserve to die so that we might be made whole in him. There's something called the great exchange. We give our life to Jesus. He takes on our sin. He gives us his righteousness. We're made whole. He's fully God, fully man, which is why the virgin birth is such a big deal. I talked to a woman today, and I'm not trying to bash other churches, but this is a big one. I talked to a woman today who, before service, said, you know, I I left a church because I was told at that church that the virgin birth doesn't matter. And I want you to know that's not true. Because without the virgin birth, you and I would still be dead in our sins we needed a perfect representative someone unstained by sin and so god seeing our circumstances being a missionary loving us to the point of death even death on a cross he said you know what i'm going to come i'm going to come through advent I'm going to make my dwelling among them. I'm going to be born in a a humble town. I'm going to come from a place of Nazareth, be born in a place called Bethlehem among animals. I'm going to be born among animals. I'm going to die among thieves for my people, for humanity, because I love them. That's what we celebrate at Christmas, right? We celebrate the hope of Jesus. And Mary was used mightily by God to bring about this hope. Finally, the third way that Mary's story brings hope is that it reminds us that God reigns on the throne. God reigns on the throne. Luke one thirty two. the angel says he'll be great, talking about Jesus, and he's going to be called the son of the most high And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David and he'll reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. This king was unlike any other king. Because every other king who was born into kingship or who was crowned king, they were king for a season and then they died and they were king no more. Or every other king before Jesus, they led a kingdom that was here one day and gone the next. If you read your history books, you see nations rise and nations fall. You see powerful people rise and powerful people fall. But this child was going to be unlike any other person in history because he would sit on a throne forever. And his kingdom would know no end. He would reign over the world forever. Forever, This child would be the new David, king of Israel, bearing the awesome title, son of God. His kingdom would be like no other, eternal and without end. And this brings hope because it's a reminder to keep on fighting. Keep on pushing. Keep on living. You see, the world, it may feel like it's falling apart. And if you turn on the news you probably get discouraged. And if you go on social media, you probably get discouraged. And if you open up the newspaper, you probably find yourself discouraged. Don't give up. Don't give in. Jesus wins. Keep on pushing. Keep on fighting. Keep your eyes on on the, the God of heaven. Even in these trying times, these confusing seasons that we're living in, keep pressing forward. Remember that Jesus is on the throne. He's on the throne. He'll see you through this life, the ups and downs of this life. And he promises you security in the life to come. And so I want to close with this. It's, it's, it's kind of a brutal illustration, but it's, it's a helpful illustration. Back in the 1950s, Harvard uh, conducted this this study about rats. And what they wanted to do is they wanted to discover, the the doctor conducting this study was Dr. Kurt Richter. Okay, Dr. Kurt Richter. He wanted to study how long rats could tread water before eventually going under. So that's brutal, I know that. But it's really interesting. So what he did is he'd put these rats in these tubes and he'd, he'd observe and see how long would they continue to swim before they gave up. And then he'd pull them out of the water. Well, what he realized, no matter what he did with the rats, no matter how much food he gave them, no matter what kind of environment they were in, all every rat at about the 15-minute mark, they would stop swimming, they would give up, and he'd have to pull them out because they would drown. And so what he decided to do was he wanted to see if maybe he could infuse hope into the situation. So right around the 15-minute mark, he'd watch the rats, he'd see they're tired, right at about 15 minutes, he'd pull them out of, of the jar, he'd dry them off, let them catch their breath for a few more minutes and then he put them back into the water. You know what he discovered? You know how long these rats lasted the second time they were in the in the water? So they went from 15 minutes to drowning to now the second time they go in the water. You know how anyone want to guess how long? Just throw a number out at me. Did I see 30 hours? 30 minutes? 60 hours. 60 hours. I'm not joking. Read it. 60 hours. These rats went from surviving for 15 minutes to surviving for 60 hours. You know why? Because they had hope of rescue. As soon as they realized hey, I may not actually drown, I may actually be rescued. They would swim and swim and swim and push their bodies to the limits, to the limit, 60 hours of swimming. And so he discovered that they had this strength as soon as hope was infused into the situation. And so if the hope of rescue could inspire exhausted animals to fight way past their limit, then what can hope do for you? You have faced things in your life that you wanted to give up on. You thought you were going to give up. In one week, you thought, you know what, I've been doing this for a month, it's time to give up now. But if you have hope, guess what? You can go way past what you think your limits are. You could make it. You could push forward. And so my encouragement to you, church, in this Christmas season, when the world seems to be crashing down around us, when things are confusing, when we're upset by what we see on on the news, whatever you might be facing, things at home, things with your family, the world seems crazy, you may feel like you're drowning, but I want you to know that you can keep on swimming. And you can keep on fighting. Because God's going to give you, he's here to rescue you. He's going to give you the hope that you need for today. A savior is coming. Coming. Don't give up. Don't give in. Keep on pushing. Keep on fighting because God sees the little people. God gives grace to the humble and God reigns on the throne. Can I get an amen? amen. And so church, one thing I want to encourage you to do. Share that hope. With the world around you. Receive that hope today. Know that Jesus sees you. Know that whatever you're facing, it's not over yet. You still have breath in your lungs. God's not done with you. God loves you. God sees you. Trust Him. His plan for you is good, it's always gonna be for your good and for His glory. Will you humbly trust Him? He gives grace to the humble, but He opposes the proud. Maybe today you need to humble yourself and finally say, God, I'm gonna put my hope in you. I'm not gonna put my hope in, in in anything else but you. I've got lost, I've gotten lost in this season. I've I've tried to, to hope in, in, in this thing or hope in that thing or hope in this bank account or hope in, in that leader or whatever. And, and, and reality is all these other things, they, they they can't deliver. They overpromise and they underdeliver. But God, you always deliver. I put my hope in you. And if you have even just a tiny bit of hope in your life, I want to encourage you to share that hope with, with your world. Share that hope with your kids. Share that hope with your friends. Have a positive attitude throughout the day. What's so cool about Mary is Mary could have complained, could have whined. She was about to start a new life with her boo. And God comes in and changes her plans. She doesn't complain. She doesn't fight. She says, I'm your servant. I want to encourage you to have that same posture, me, to have that same posture. God, we are your servants. And the best way to be servants is not to just serve God, but to serve others. And so I encourage you during this Christmas season, be a servant and invite people to come. We have candlelight coming up around the corner. We have invitations in the lobby. If you could grab an invitation, a stack of invitations before you go, hand them out at your work, hand them out to your family. We want to see people feel and experience the hope of Jesus this candlelight this Christmas. And I want to thank you guys for sharing that hope. I'm going to pray and we're going to close with one more song. Will you pray with me? Father God, I thank you so much for the hope that you bring. You bring hope to the humble. God, we don't have to have it all figured out. Mary sure didn't. She was a teenager just just getting started with her life and you intervened and you did something big and miraculous and special in her. And you want to do that with us. Give us humility. Give us hope. Give us the the posture of a servant. And I pray, God, that we would see you move, move in our family, move in our lives, that we would trust your plan for us, that we'd see your good plan for us, that we'd submit to your good plan for us, and that we'd see your good plan not only impact us, but the world around us. We pray for candlelight services. God, we know that this Christmas can be a time of hope and joy and love for our community. And God, we are so grateful that you would use us us in Lemoore, a small agricultural town, but you see us and you love us and you delight in us and you're writing our story and we praise you for that. And so now as we close, we just want to lift up one more time your name, Jesus. It's you that we celebrate this Advent season and we pray this in your holy name and all God's people say.